Hello and welcome. This is the Carbon Watchdog podcast. This is the Carbon Watchdog podcast, and today we'll be discussing climate change in Nigeria and the issues surrounding climate justice and big corporations like Shell Oil in the Niger Delta and the, uh, all the factors that are affecting, that are affecting the non-industrialized countries in the global south. And today on the, on the podcast, my guest is Kalo Uchundu, from, uh, the, who's a student at the University of Nigeria in Nsuku in Southeast Nigeria. And he's um, he volunteers with Greater Green, the Greater Green Movement, and SOS UK, which is students organising sustainability, who are active in the UK and internationally. And um, so we've got um, I've missed out the oh I've missed out the key line about about Carbon Watchdog. But essentially, the whole podcast, every podcast that we do is all about climate change and how we need to change. And not just, uh, not just ourselves, obviously, to adapt to the changing climate, which is becoming the new normal, but also how we're going to change so that we can halt global warming. And uh, so let me go over to Kalo. Hi, Kalo. How are you doing? Hello, um, Adam. I'm doing great. And it's nice to have you. Yeah, well, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Uh, so how is it going in Nigeria with COVID? I don't know whether you know, but in London, we've got the second lockdown at the moment for the whole of November. Uh, yeah, I read that in the news. Um, here in Nigeria, is a little bit different. We keep recording new cases every day, but the government cannot um, continue, cannot afford to you know, impose another lockdown because initially when the um, the first wave of COVID-19 hit Nigeria around March last year, we went on lockdown for about two months. And during the lockdown, we found out that people are frustrated because um, people have nothing to eat at their various homes. So they need to go out and find a way to get the food on the table. So um, after like two months of lockdown, the government have to ease the lockdown. And since then, um, people have been going out, going about their daily businesses. And government cannot just afford to impose another lockdown because the necessary infrastructure yeah. or the necessary provisions to sustain um, these people is not is not there. Right. So people have to, you know, even the risk of contacting COVID-19 have to still go out. So there is no sustain a lockdown here, though the schools are still closed and talks are ongoing on how to open the schools separately. Right. Okay. So it's not good. Well, it's yeah. not great here, but it's it sounds like uh, sounds like you've got a handful over there. The um, the other problem that faces Nigeria in the long term after COVID is after COVID has died down. Hopefully, well, well, obviously not. Hopefully, we're going to have we're going to have climate change. Have yeah. you got climate change already affecting Nigeria? That was a question that I was thinking of, and I don't actually know. Do you actually already see climate change yes, making um, an impact there? 
Yes, uh, climate change is already affecting Nigeria in very subtle ways. And one of the sectors which um, climate change is being, is, threatening, is being threatened in Nigeria is the agricultural sector. Because here in Nigeria, we have um, about over 70% of Nigeria, the Nigerians dependent on um, ecosystem services such as agriculture for their livelihood. And we've been recording cases of, um, in the north, in the northern part of Nigeria, we have been recording low precipitations. And this is leading to draft drop right. and certifications in the north Rainfall. and in the south eastern we are recording high precipitations and we so, sorry in the north in the north north of nigeria that's the sahel region that's the yes yeah, yeah we've been recording um series of um drop and the certification is fast encroaching and while in the south we are recording high precipitations which is leading to flooding and erosion in the south and, and Sorry, but yours, you have tropical rainforests in the south, right? Yeah. Okay, so there's, but it's essentially, it's, it's quite a, uh, there's quite a lot of rainfall anyway. What, what sort of level of rainfall do you get? I mean, you have, you don't call it the monsoon, do you? You call it the monsoon or the wet season. You get, you get, uh, most of your rainfall is concentrated in the wet season. And then you have yeah. a big, long dry season, right? Yes, yeah, and yeah. That's yeah. in the, Yes, that's how it is here in Nigeria. We have the rainy season and the dry season, and most of the rainfall um, is concentrated during the rain season. And over the years, we've been recording um, variations in rainfall, in pattern of rainfall, you know, and it is becoming um, increasingly, um, varies, varying increasingly as the years goes by, and it's still predicted to continue. And what this is um, causing is that over there in the north, due to the drought, the northerners, the Fulanese, who are predominantly headsmen or cattle rearers, who have to migrate southwards to, in search of green pastures to graze their cattle. And in this, they move towards the south. The southerners, who are predominantly farmers, they tend to, and this tends to lead to communal violence and clashes. Because these um, headsmen, these farmers accuse the headsmen of right. destroying their um, farmland. And these crises are sorry, sorry, Kelly, is that their normal way of life? Do they normally just go wherever they need to go? Um, Do they, I mean, in England, we, we just have farms, right? So you have, yes. if you have cattle, they're on your farm. And you can't go anywhere else. You can't take your cattle anywhere else. Yes, um, the okay before 30 years from now they are usually settled in the north but now due to the, the drought and the disapplication in the north they have to migrate onwards so now they have to um they are more like nomads they have to take their cattle and graze it and you know take them through the move southwards in search of green pastures right so, or they lose um, the cattle or the cattle just basically die or just can't survive yeah right okay yeah. so and these crises have claimed over 2,000 lives since 2017. So one of the major challenges um, climate change is causing in Nigeria is the violence, the communal crisis due to resource, um, resource management. Because these farmers um, are feeling this impact, the headsmen, those who are cattle areas, are, are looking for grasses to, um, for um, green pastures to graze their cow. They have to move southward. And yeah. in, terms they are, in turn, they are crashing with southerners who are predominantly farmers. And it's right. one of the major crises that we're facing here in Nigeria, aside the Boko Haram issue. 
the Boko Haram. That's the um, that's the essentially they are the uh, are they an offshoot from Al Qaeda? Is that um, right? And so the terrorists are exploiting the situation? Um, yeah, they, are, they, base, they, are, they have their stronghold in, in, in the northeastern part of Nigeria. Right. And even though um, the Nigerian forces and the Chadian forces are trying to cram them again, but they still um, hold control a considerable amount of um, regions in that area. Okay. So, if, but if, if Boko Haram didn't exist and just looking at climate change, forcing these farmers, forcing the herdsmen to move south, I mean, presumably there would be there would still be conflict there. Yes, exactly. And, exactly. and they, I mean, what sort of conflict is it? Do you get, uh, do they kill each other? Is it is it leading to people people getting killed? Yes, over two thousand people have died due to this conflict. These conflicts are just um, where you find out that um, uh, people villages are being attacked because. Um, Maybe a farmer can accuse um, a headsman of destroying his cattle and might attack the farmers, might attack the um, cattle. And in the evening, you have a, you hear of a recent attack by um, friendly headsmen attacking the villages. So yeah. this has been leading to a series of um, violence and crisis in Nigeria. And over 2,000 lives have been lost due to this violence. That's really bad. So just does the does the government recognize this? Does the yeah. government, do they say, uh, well, you never hear in, in the UK, we never hear like, um, there's loads and loads of stuff about climate change in the news all the time. And it's always about, uh, you know, do we have enough solar energy to do this? Do we have enough? Um, what about all this gas coming from Russia? And uh, every now and again, you hear about like, the consequences like wildfires in California and uh, in Australia. Um, but you don't hear about people killing each other. You never yeah, hear about yeah. stuff like that. This is kind of like, oh, you know, you dig that up, but it's not, you can dig that up somewhere if you look hard enough, but it's never, it never gets into the headlines. Yeah. But this must be happening right across Africa, right? Yeah. All the way to the, and all of the countries on the south of the Sahara, they must be having the same must be yes. suffering the same impact. Yes, yeah, in very many subtle ways. So do you think the government is, do you think the government can cope with this? Or do you think the government is just going to, when it comes to the international negotiations, do you think Nigeria is going to say, look, we've got to do something about climate change. It's just tearing our society apart. Or, or what is their stance? What is the, what is the position of the Nigerian government? Where do they stand and what do they say? Okay, um, in terms of the conflict, which is as a result of climate change, the um, Nigerian government have not um, come out openly to admit that, though they've been trying to put measures in place to save this conflict. Um, they are also um, proposing the idea of having grazing and um, grazing community in each, um, in each state in the um, southern region, so that this will have to put in check these headmen that have to, you know, wonder about in the south of green pastures. 
But in coming um, to the terms of climate change and the policies that Nigerian government is um, proposing, I think yeah. they are more focused on looking at the NDCs, which they um, looking at Nigerian NDCs. They are more focused on making um, making um, commitments because um, other people are making commitments. Nigeria pledged to reduce its um, CO2 emission according to their NDCs by 20% and uh, unconditionally and 45% conditionally. But um, if you look at how they plan to do this, they, you know, they say they want to increase their investment in renewable energy sources. They have not tried to, you know, tackle some of the main issues such as building um, adaptation or mitigation measures to some of these issues. They are mainly focused on, on working on all talks and on paper uh, without action. And one of the reasons um, this is so is because there is a huge divide between the government and the academics here in Nigeria. So right. government, those who are in government have very little or no background in academics or in what um, climate change is all about. So they are just people who are politicians without background in this area. And those who are in academic and they have failed to try to, you know, partner or collaborate with those who are in um, academics to actually work out policies that have to serve the people or that address these challenges. So right. that has been one of the major issues that we're facing. So even looking at the Nigerian NDCs, I, to be honest, um, the NDCs is just, um, to, they just put out the NDCs yeah. Or, you know, but they're not doing anything. Yeah, they're not doing anything. What what is it called? The um the national national contribution. nationally I, determined contributions yeah. in terms of CO two reduction for the yeah. to meet the Paris climate targets. Yeah. Okay, so you've got um you've in Nigeria there's a big uh the big story for environmentalists is shell oil in the okay. Niger Delta. Yeah, um, you're not in you're not in that region. You're in southeast Nigeria, and the yeah, Niger um, Delta is right in the middle in the south, right? Yes, but, but I've um, been to Niger Delta a couple of times. Uh, oh, you've been there? Okay. Yes, but my climate activism started in 2016 when I was in Niger Delta. So I've spent a lot of time there. So you. Um, so you know what Shell, Shell is doing is uh, probably a lot better than we do. Yeah. We hear that Shell is trying to go carbon neutral by 2050 and we hear all of this stuff about um, you can now go to a Shell garage in the UK and you can buy your petrol, fill up your car and you can buy offsets at the same time which offset your carbon emissions from that tank of petrol. And uh, so this is the general approach by Shell in this country, but they never talk about what's going on in in the Niger Delta or how long they intend to pump oil and gas down there. And they obviously never talk about things like Ken Sarawiva and the fact that it was 25 year, 25, 25th yeah. anniversary of his execution yeah. because he stood up to Shell Oil, and he said, um, "We want to. We want to. Uh, what did his main his main point was? He was with the Agoni people. The Agoni yes, people had the movement uh, for the survival of organic people. Right. So you look at the map, and it's only a very small area. Yeah. But what he was doing was obviously it was too much for Shell, and it was too much for the Nigerian government at the time. 
Yeah. And and they executed him. They they rounded him up, had a trial, which was condemned internationally for being completely unfair, and they executed him. Now when you've got when you've got situations like that, it makes you think that you if you're gonna be if you're gonna say anything against the government or against any corporations, that you have to be quite brave. You have to be quite um, quite sure that you're that you're not going to get executed. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. no, you have to be quite sure that, that yeah. what you say is something that they're not really going to be able to argue about in a big way. Yeah. And you're going to have to make sure that if you start organizing, then, well, when you start organizing, you have to be twice as careful, right? Yeah. So I don't think that I don't think that the Shell Oil situation is uh, with the Niger Delta and with the with the destruction that they've caused there, that's not really a climate change issue. That is more a local environmental issue because yeah, they yeah. have completely yeah. destroyed huge areas of mangroves, natural yeah. habitat, and caused unlimited pollution. I, I don't know how much pollution they've caused down there, but when you watch the videos, it, it's shocking. Yeah. So um, I guess you see that and you see what's going on and you go okay you're not going to you're not going to approach shell on this issue right climate change has got to be it's got to be something that well how do you approach it how do you tell people about climate change in nigeria um okay um let me talk a little about shell in nigeria and then okay. i'll give you a question shell is the oldest um oil a multinational oil company in Nigeria. And within 1976 to 1991, um, Shell has spilled over 2 million barrels of oil in the United Delta region. Okay. And this um, led to um, a lot of destructions, both the, um, both the land and the water. And in 2011, the United um, National Environmental Program did an assessment, and it was discovered that it would take um, the communities about 30 years to recover. You know, traces of um, hydrocarbons, uh, um, benzene, and even carcinogen has been found um, in the outdoor air and water. And in fact, at a rate which is 900 times um, higher than what is um, recommended by the Water Organization. And right. over the years, um, there've been promises, series of greenwash to clean up those areas. But Shell is yet to make is yet to make any um, significant commitments towards tackling these issues. Still, and yes. Um, in 2015, um, there there was a case in London that um, uh, they agreed that they would pay about um, 84 million dollar in settlement to one of those communities. And which um, agreed, but yet we still not in progress. The cleanup started in the bridge uh, between um, Shell and the Nigerian uh, government to clean up the community in 2015, of which uh, even up to today, they less than 11%, less than 11% of those places. They started work at less than 11% of the areas marked, and yet those 11% they've not been able to complete it. So you find that they are still doing nothing, little to nothing to. Um, address those issues. 
when um, in the early right. 19... In Sorry, the early because 19... if you compare that to BP yeah. in the Gulf of Mexico, where they had the Deepwater Horizon disaster, they basically completely trashed the livelihood of so many fishermen in the Gulf of Mexico. Yeah. They had to they had to completely uh, compensate everybody involved. They had to spend billions on the compensation. And it was immediate. But you're saying that Shell has essentially just done nothing for how long now? 30 years? Yeah. More yeah. than. So, um, even when the, um, the environmental movement led by uh, the late Kensal Rua started in the early 90s, and uh, which um, everybody knows the story, they were completed by the then Nigerian military head of state. And uh, even people and a lot of organizations have, you know, has been able to establish that Shell have a hand in this, or Shell have come, up, come out openly to, you know, to this, to deny these claims. But what we've seen is that Shell still lack this commitment to tackling or to, you know, to making up for their uh, actions, to try to invest in this community, to clean up this community. Until uh -huh. today, these communities still don't have access to clean drinking water in 21st century they still don't have access to clean drinking water. So um, you see right. that this is um, in how we see um, how big corporations like this and how they have, you know, they have access to resources, they have the money, they have the resources. So you, even if you take them to court, they keep delaying the process, they have the money to fund the process, you find that at the end of this, yeah. you give up on the action. So when we talk about that's one of the major issues we are still facing in the fight against climate justice. You find out that these big corporations still bankroll cops. You know the normal, the annual conference of parties. You find out that these uh, the these big corporations sponsor this event and find a way to buy themselves into the, the decision making processes, which is one of the campaigns that we are working on to keep these big polluters out of um, conference climate negotiations because they find a way. They have the resources, they have the manpower to buy their way into the decision-making processes. And they try to find a way to water down these decision-making processes. Right. So, that look so, at when how, uh, so when they're deciding things, when things come up for decision, they're always going, oh, well, you yeah. know, no, no, we're not quite sure. You have to wait, have to, yeah, have to delay exactly. everything, right? Exactly. And I think that um, to be able to actually um, take ambitious climate action, we have to be able to keep these people, these big polluters, these corporations with, um, uh, with um, background of human rights abuses out of climate negotiation processes so that we be able to, you know, make meaningful or significant progress. Right, yeah, gotcha. That's exactly the same in this country as well. They have, uh... The, the fossil fuel industry, I'm not sure which ones, Shell, BP, other ones, they have people sitting um, on, the, on the board of, uh, on the advisory board for the Committee on Climate Change, which is the organization that advises the government here in the UK on how to, how to reach zero emissions by 2050. And lots of people are asking, well, why are they there? You know, it's like asking smokers to come along to the, uh, 
to 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 the medical conference about the, the yeah. bad effects of smoking and how quickly you need to give up smoking. You, you ask the smokers if they should give up, and you know how difficult is it for you to give up? Oh, that's it. It's going to take a long time to give yeah. up. I'm afraid it's going to take a really long time. <laughs> so the uh, so the the kind of activities that you've been involved in uh, involve what. Were you just talking about the stuff with SOS UK? And was that how you got involved in the mock cop, which yeah. is the the alternative climate conference that yeah. is going on? Is it going to start in December? No, it's starting 19th of this month, 19th of November. OK, so it's starting this month. It's going to be at the same time as the original. Yeah. COP26 okay. in Glasgow would have been if it wasn't delayed by COVID. Yes. It's a great name, Mock COP. Mock COP yeah. just is just great. So the and that is going to be well. Why don't you tell? Why don't you say about it? You know more about it than I do. Okay. Um. I sorry. I didn't get your question. Is it? Um, so you say more. Can you describe what is Mock COP? I've said when okay. it's going to take place. It's basically an alternative uh, COP26 at the time that okay, it should have um, been. But who is it? Up, who is organizing it and taking part? All right. Mock-up is being organized by a um, by a series of students global from all the continents except Antarctica. Um, it started around August uh, when we went the, with the news um, about the postponement of COP26. Um, and the youth um just found that this the youth were um a bit um disappointed that an important conference as the conference of um, party is being postponed. It shows that world leaders does not yet understand the need for an urgent climate action. So um we decided to come together to um, fill in this void created by the postponement of of 26 by a virtual inclusive two-week online conference to show what leaders how they could have done it and to raise ambitions ahead of COP26 um, coming, which was postponed next year in 2000, uh, 2021, which is right. uh, November 2021. And what we want to do is we are bringing three to five delegates from all countries in the world. That was what I wanted to do. But um, we've been able to get delegates from over 150 countries who will be, you know, who will be working together to ensure that we draft a through the um, throughout the two weeks program to draft a high level statement on behalf of their country, which will be sent to um, to um, world leaders ahead of COP26 to raise awareness. So, and we've had supporters from academics, uh, from people who, uh, from the UN youth envoy. I'm from even uh, the president of COP, Ayok Shama. So we've had we've enjoyed the support of these people. Hello, uh, Shama. He's the British. He's the British Department yeah. of Energy guy. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay, um, that's good. Yeah. So basically, so, you're say, you're saying him. Look, you're saying to him. Look, this is how it can be done. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yep. um, we've been working through the process, and the conference will be starting on the 19th. And at the, the first week, we have um, speeches and workshops by high-level individuals and by high-profile individuals and activists. 
And the second week, we now have um, the delegates work to draft the high-level statement, which um, we are also looking at um, coming up with a treaty which we can encourage countries to adapt, thereby making up for the policy gap um, that existed um, due to the postponement of COP26. And we have five um, key um, teams that will be focusing on for, uh, for this year, uh, yeah. event, which is um, climate justice, and um, the resilient livelihoods, climate education, the, okay. health, uh, the health and well-being, and then NDCs, which is the natural determined contribution. So we are focusing on this um, main key topic. Right. Okay, so basically, since you're obviously everybody's going to be uh, quite green and environmentally minded, it's going to be relatively easy for you all to go, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> let's reduce emissions to zero. Yeah, exactly. So how, how are you going to, uh, how are you going to frame that when you actually when you actually put a message together for Alok Sharma and the other people who are actually organizing COP26 in Glasgow, how, how are you gonna frame it so that you don't get the reaction from them where they just say, yeah, well, it was easy for you guys because you didn't actually have to implement anything because you're just, you're just uh, doing yeah. a demonstration, but we've actually got to do it. I mean, okay. I'm not um, saying it's. I'm not saying that's. I'm not saying you shouldn't try. Yeah. Obviously, you got to. Yeah. It's okay, really um, good that you're doing it, but I, I'm just envisaging these guys going. Oh yeah, you know these activists. They think that okay. they can flick a switch um, and make everything better. One thing um, we are doing is that we've been able to um, secure um, a partnership and work with um, academics and partakers, people who are very experienced in these areas to help us shape this statement. We don't want to um, come up with a statement that, okay. um, that is ambitious, but not realistic. So okay. we want to come up with a statement that is realistic and ambitious at the same time. So, and we recognized that some of us as youth activists might not have the necessary experience or expertise to come up with this, but we know what we want. So we right. are working with um, academics, people who are experienced in this field, to help us shape this statement. You know, they help us partake our statement. They help us you know, in put this statement um, in a way that uh, when you present it to these um, people, they will see um, a good reason to adopt it. Okay, so it sounds like uh, a, a citizens assembly. We had a, we had a climate assembly in the UK and they had one in France as well. And I think they're planning other ones. And essentially they, they brought in people from all different walks of life and different levels of education and they sat them down about a hundred people and then they brought in lots of experts to talk to them and say look these are the options this is what you can do and this is what you can't do and if you do this this is what will happen and they gave them lots of options and they came up with some really good stuff and it sounds like this is pretty much the same sort of process that you'll be going through yeah. that's great did you have any? Uh, did you have any famous names, or uh, for scientists or academics or the the experts who are helping you, who um, you're bringing in? Okay, um, um, we have um, both academics from the global north and the global south. 
one um, of the leading uh, climate, uh, one of the leading figures in climate um, justice here in, in Nigeria is um, Professor Tukumezi. He is a professor in the University of Regents in UK, and he's one of our participants. Also, we have um, uh, some research institution from uh, the Oxford University working with us. So we have these profile, these high-profile academies. Some of the high-profile working with us to shape this statement. Right. Okay. Well, good luck with that. It sounds really good. It sounds really interesting. And what part are you actually, what part are you taking? Okay, I'm one of the event coordinators. We have 18 event coordinators from all continents. In Africa, we have four event coordinators. And I'm one of the event coordinators um, in, uh, here in Africa. And um, what my, I'm in charge of the fringe events, trying to reach out to delegates, recruit these delegates and you know, help them shape their statements and support delegates from this uh, from Africa. So other event coordinators from other continents will also support delegates from their, their respective um, continents or region. And we don't just want, we just don't want to stop after the um, two weeks conference. After the yeah. two weeks conference, we still support these delegates to engage their country leaders to raise ambitions ahead of um, COP26, which is November. So we'll be still, we'll still, after the conference, we still have a legacy work to do from now until November next year, ahead of right. the So we still continue to push, push till we make sure that world leaders agree and you know start taking visible and realistic climate action. Yeah, right. The, uh, I mean, the worst in the worst case scenario with COP twenty six, if the coronavirus hasn't, if we haven't, if society hasn't produced a, uh, an effective vaccine. vaccine then they're going to have to do it like you're doing it anyway. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's, it's a good example. that the, um, So that kind of leads into the stuff about, um, you were talking about, you had five themes, and the first one you mentioned was climate justice. And that yeah. leads, leads into the next bit that I wanted to talk about, because climate justice is something that's a, a very new term over here. I don't think he's even made it into the Oxford Dictionary yet. The Oxford Dictionary is kind of, um, they have this uh, they have this sort of prize, not a prize, what is it? They, they announce every year the, their favorite words that they've, that they've put into the dictionary, new words or new, not words, but um, concepts or expressions that they put in the dictionary. And last year they had, um, they had climate denial and they had um, climate, um, it wasn't climate justice. They missed that one out, which I was disappointed by essentially. And the, the, what I found is that I got completely the wrong idea about what climate justice was. And the, only, and the only way I discovered that I'd made a mistake is because I was talking to some German friends and they said, and we were having this discussion with it and the discussion was getting was getting really was getting really uh we just weren't talking about the same thing and, and we both knew it and i couldn't work out why and it's because the expression in germany climate justice just does not have the same it doesn't have the same connotations that it has in english in english in the english language or at least in england and probably in america as well when you say justice that often means when you want justice, that means that you want to see, it often means that you want to see somebody punished. And 
the problem with that in terms of the in terms of the climate movement is that there's a uh, there's a, a far left group of of climate activists who want to see the uh, they want to see all the oil companies um, punished in terms of made to pay reparations for extracting all of this fossil fuel out of the ground and pumping it into the atmosphere because uh, the justice part would be that they get all of their profits taken away from them and used to pay back to people. But of course, the problem with that is that, you know, we've got a legal system that, that works based mainly on, on capitalism for the last 200 years. And that's not how it works. So that, you know, it's, it doesn't get you very far. And it also means that um, it also means that a lot of people start getting worried. You know, you have a you have a lot of people working for fossil fuel companies, and then you start talking about punishing the fossil fuel companies, and maybe even punishing the executives. So the, the, it goes into a, it goes into a really negative space. Um, I thought, you know, I don't think it's a good idea to start pushing for climate justice if you if you think that we're going to drag everybody in front of in, into a courtroom and prosecute them and sue them for their for all their misdemeanors in in causing climate change the uh and then i realized actually no that's not what climate justice means i mean to a certain extent it does a lot of people do feel very bitter about the fact that that capitalism has taken us to the point where we are have almost destroyed the climate and if we don't act very very quickly that things are going to get really bad very fast and um so a lot of people do sympathize with that point of view that, that the climate has been damaged by the oil corporations and uh and by capitalism and the way the and the way that system works and uh you can see it for instance i saw i saw a, a photo on a um i saw a headline on a on a headline photo on a news story where somebody was protesting about in in the u.s protesting about a pipeline and their placard they were waving a placard and it said just be grateful that we only want justice and that we don't want revenge and i was thinking yeah. that really yeah. that really sums it up for me is yeah. that that's the difference actually between what climate justice means climate justice means equality people just want an equality in the way they're treated yeah. and uh so when you when when or when i in the in the develop in the uh industrialized countries in the in the north like in america and and um and europe when we talk about uh when we talk about climate change often this whole concept of climate justice just is forgotten about we think about you know oh what's going to happen it's going to rain more we're going to have more extreme weather so so we're going to have more flooding so what do we need to do and um we just completely forget the fact like you're saying earlier on that it's really affecting people now in countries in that are a long way away from us and we don't hear about it because it doesn't make the news and these these countries didn't have hardly any of the benefits from all of the industrialization that the that Britain has had, for instance, and the concept of climate justice um, 
it, it actually goes back before it was called climate justice. It goes back all the way through the U United Nations negotiations before we had the Paris Agreement and before we had this idea of nationally determined contributions where everybody just goes, OK, look, I'm uh, I'm America and I'm going to cut my emissions by this much and uh, you do what you want. And whether I do mine to a certain to whether I cut my emissions completely or whether I cut my emissions to a level that everybody else agrees is fair. Well, that doesn't matter because it's nationally determined. I, I America will determine what level I'm going to reduce my emissions by. So that doesn't contain any climate justice. That doesn't contain this element of climate justice. And that was dropped from the United Nations negotiations back in 2010. I think the Copenhagen COP15, I think it was. Don't quote me on that. It was a bit of a disaster. Barack Obama was there and China was saying, you know, we're not going to cooperate with anybody. So essentially, a lot of the big countries just had no grounds for negotiation. They, they just didn't, didn't manage to come, come up with anything. But the, the underlying theme had climate justice in it. It was called, uh, it was basically, what we're going to do is we're going to work out how much emissions the world can still emit. And that's essentially encapsulated in the carbon budget. So the global carbon budget, it means that we have got between eight to 10 years of emissions at the current rate before the global carbon budget is totally used up. And once the carbon budget is used up, then we've got to stop. Otherwise we blow the Paris Climate Agreement. We will. Okay. All right, we're rolling it. We're rolling again. So I was just basically, going on about um, climate justice and not understanding climate justice until I realized that it just meant, it basically meant equality rather than punishing people. <laughs> so the, uh, so how does it affect, how does it affect you in Nigeria? When you think about climate justice, what do you think? What is it, what occurs to you? Okay. What's the concept? For me, um, what I, I, I try to, I see climate justice as is being able to see climate action as an ethical and moral obligation. Because understanding that the people who will suffer the dire consequences of climate change are people who are doing little or nothing to um, to contribute to this um, climate change. People who are, you know, so for me, climate justice is for, you know, for people, for individuals, for countries to see climate action, not as an act of charity. We, we want to cut down our emissions because uh, we want to be charitable, uh, but to see it as the ethical thing to do and the moral and ethical thing to do, as a moral obligation to do that, to cut down their emissions. To me, that is what climate justice means to me personally. And um, other people have what it means to them. And I, I, I have seen situations where poor countries don't want to take actions because they want rich countries who are responsible for these emissions to fund them before they, they are able to take actions. And I've seen in the situations where rich countries don't want to take action because 
they think um, other countries are not taking action. Maybe US don't want to take action because China is not taking action. Mm-hmm. You know, this shouldn't be the case. Climate justice should be that every country, every individual should be able to take action because it, it's, it's their moral obligation to do that. It's the ethical thing to do. It's the right thing to do. Not because um, people people are doing or because people are asking you to take action or because um, activists are, um, are you know are signing petitions and you have to take actions or you have to greenwash us into believing that you're taking action. Why in that sense you're not taking action? Uh-huh. And another thing is that most countries, most developed countries pushed to go carbon neutral by 2050. Pushing to go carbon neutral is a good thing. But one thing is even though you push to go carbon neutral, have you, can you show us um, the emission reduction pathway that will take you to net zero? If you are able to show us the emission reduction pathway that will take you to net zero by 2015, yes, that is good. Another thing, are you staying within, which warming limit are you working with? And are you staying within your country's fair share of the global carbon budget? Mm-hmm. If we have a global carbon budget of about 600, gigaton for a 50% for a less than 50% chance of exceeding 1.5 or 2 degrees Celsius. Are you staying within your country per share of the global carbon budget? And what is the emission reduction pathway that will take you to net zero? That's one thing I start what I see carbon um, climate justice as being able to see climate change and climate action as the ethical thing to do and not uh, as, um, you know, right. It is very difficult for people to to grasp that concept because everybody else is that's what people people look to their neighbors and their friends and their work their work colleagues to see what to do and they see nobody doing anything so they just carry on Uh, but trying to get people to believe that it's something that they have to do out of moral and ethical reasons it's uh it's a difficult one but it's so i mean at the end of the day for me the ultimate the ultimate um example would be the small island states like um the seychelles or mauritius okay or even and there's tons of little small ones like vanuatu and lots of little small ones in the in the in the west pacific they will literally lose their country. They will lose everything they've got beneath the waves when sea levels start to, when sea levels have, ru- have risen yeah. far enough, it will just be gone. And if we don't have a moral obligation to save them from that fate, then, um, then there's no argument. There's no better argument that I can think of. So we, we really have to do it. Yeah. You just can't go, oh, I'm just going to put some more petrol in my car and I'm just going to fly on holiday. You know, sorry about the CO2. You, you just can't do that. It really is something that you've got to, uh, you've got to believe is necessary. Exactly. And the, uh, the theme at the mock COP that you're doing, you're, you're, one of the five themes is climate justice. Is that yeah. going to, uh, obviously you're just facilitating it and it's not happened yet, but uh, can you encapsulate what the uh, what your experts are saying already 
about climate justice. Is that more or less? Okay. Okay, um, currently um, we've not corrected all their opinions, but what we want to do is we want to make them, you know, do a video on talking on, from their perspective on these various areas. And these videos will present to our delegates to, you know, listen to the video, try to adopt it and try to reflect on their country's journey and to be able to come up with a statement that reflects how their country is going to, you know, what climate justice looks like for their country. So um, for all countries, it's different. For, yeah. um, for Nigeria, what climate justice looks for Nigeria, what Nigeria government should be able to, to do um, as it's, um, to contribute to it in, uh, to climate justice is different from what the US government have to do. So for every country, it's different and unique. So each delegate should be able to understand um, the stance of, each, of their respective country. And yeah rights on behalf of their country that's what we come and do uh-huh good one i hope you're going to publish them are they going to go online yes um definitely after um we will definitely publish them uh-huh right definitely. good one okay the um some of the other stuff that i've got on my list of questions was um the uh there was a big uh, there was some headlines out of nigeria that we saw where the police had a um there was some sort of elite squad elite police squad and uh there were some massive demonstrations was yeah did you have did that affect you yeah definitely um the, that was the uh, special anti-robbery squad um the special anti-robbery squad which is the SAS, is a unit in of the nigerian police that is responsible to um on cramping down on armed violence and um of uh, an robbery. But over the years, they've grown um, radical that they, they have been series of human rights abuses, um, extrajudicial killing, and you know they kill people without even putting going through trials. And they harass people, they extort people, um, they mount roadblocks on the road and harass innocent passerbys, extort money from them. So over the years, these issues wow. have been, you know, people have had complaints have been, you know, have been going. Even Amnesty yeah, has been trying to attack, um, attack, um, address this issue, but nothing has been done. Wow. And um, in, in even 2019-2018, the Nigerian government who can issue a statement that they are reform, uh, reforming the sector. But yeah. early, um, later, uh, around two months, last two months, or last month, he started as um, a video trended where these people dragged two young boys out of a hotel and shoot them instantly in the front of the hotel. Wow. So, yes, yeah, so the video now sparked an online outrage, you know, yeah. and then it what started as a Twitter hashtag MSAS now evolved into millions of youths taken to the streets to take action. Funny enough, Three months or four months before this incident, I've already I had a call with PFF Global where I talked about this um, occurrence, of which they invited some lawyers from Nigeria and from other parts of Africa to right. find a way on how to address this. And before the event, the, the, the massive protest that took to the street, so the yeah. youth came out on the streets to protest against these things. And after one week of protests, the federal government issued a statement 
banning the same, disbanding the same set of police force. But the youth are not convinced because previous years they've made the same statement in Twitter over the years, and still mm -hmm. nothing changed. And, and still nothing changes. So the youths are not um, satisfied. They are not. So they continued the process till um, some politicians started um, funding or started buying stocks to yeah. attack put, uh, protesters. You see, or you know. Because uh, uh, the attack on protesters now leads to you know some sort of escalating violence because these politicians are paying talks to you know vandalize properties and you know attack um, innocent protesters so that the government forces can now come and you know, take control and there are even uh, cases where um, the government forces open fire on innocent protesters at the key, the key target so and that incident um, escalated on all uh, in all parts of the country um with days of protests yeah. before um they are able to um bring down bring the situation under control and currently okay. even the people who are very active in the protest are still facing um some the federal the federal uh, government just um freezed their accounts so they can they, they do not have access to their accounts with the people who are in charge who the, oh, okay. Protests are still facing um, persecutions in here and there, so um, right. it's really very difficult. Yeah. Yeah, that's bad news. That's uh, you have all sorts of problems to to deal with in Nigeria. That that uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> man, yeah, we don't have we don't have that sort of stuff in Britain. I yeah. mean, if we do have it, then you don't hear about it. No, it's, it's bad bad news. Well, good luck with that. Um, I guess we've, I guess we've uh, reached the, uh, reached the end of the podcast really. Um, so, well, thank you very much for being on the being on the podcast and giving me all the all of your information. Thank you very much. And uh, wish you the best of luck with Mark Cop, and I hope that goes really well. I'm looking forward thank to hear, seeing some of the videos that come out of that and seeing the replies, and um, make sure you get the message right. across to the to the to the dignitaries at COP26, tell them how to do it. Sounds like they need uh, it. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, thank you very much, Adam. Uh, right. Um, okay, thank you very much for listening, everybody. That was uh, my guest, Kayla Wachundu from Nigeria. And uh, my name was Adam Hardy, and that was the Carbon Watchdog podcast. And you can fund this via Patreon if you go to the website and you find a link there that'll get you to it. So thank you very much for listening and I hope you'll tune in again next time. Bye. My name is Adam Hardy and this is the Carbon Watchdog podcast. All of the website content and uh, the podcasts are free. If you like what Carbon Watchdog is doing, then please head over to patreon.com using the link on the website and support me there. Thank you very much for listening and I hope you'll tune into the next one. Bye.